Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow, film freak and filmmaker, joined by my best friend and fellow film freak and filmmaker, Nick Dosel. How you doing there, bub? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, today's going to be fun because we are going to do a deep dive into Roger Deakins, arguably the most well-known living cinematographer, maybe next to Emmanuel Lubezki, Chivo, but I would say Deakins is right up there for in mass pop culture being, I, I don't hear cinematographers talked about a lot. I mean, among like you and I who are obsessed with movies, yes, but not like at a party. And you, especially recently, can go to a party and hear people talking about shot constructions from Blade Runner 2049 or 1917. So he's known in the culture for his profession, which I think is very cool. What are your uh, first thoughts on old Deacons there? Oh, this is why I'm so excited is um, Deacons is my favorite cinematographer of all time. And uh, when when you brought up the conversation about cinematography, there's no better way to start. You're right. People know who he is. I think that was probably when he won the Academy Award for Blade Runner 2049. That was probably the most excited people had ever gotten for that category. Yeah. You could tell there was a there was a a, a mass um, push not 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 politically, but everyone was rooting for Deacons to win because they're like, God, this guy has shot so many good things. He's got to win. Right. And we're going to talk about a lot of them. Um, some quick background about Deacons. Here's one of my favorite quotes from him. Freddie Francis said, there's good cinematography and bad cinematography. And then there's the cinematography that's right for the movie. Freddie Francis was a well-regarded DP who won an Oscar for shooting Glory. He also shot The Elephant Man in Scorsese's Cape Fear. But that quote really speaks to how Deakins lenses a movie, because while there is certainly a Roger Deakins look, I think he's more interested in what's best for the movie as opposed to what's best for him. Absolutely. Very important distinction. One of the reasons why he's regarded as such a fine collaborator, he's worked with a lot of people many, many times, which we're definitely going to get into. He's very British. He's very polite. He's very <laughs> quick to deflect praise to other members of his team, namely his wife, James, who typically works with him on the set of his movies, and we're going to talk about her a little later as well. Real quick, Deakins was born in England in 1949, far away from any film connection or film resources or film equipment. He fell into cinematography while in school, started his career in documentaries before making his way into feature films, and now he's captured exceptional work for the Coen brothers, Sam Mendes, Scorsese, Denny Villeneuve, Andrew Dominic, and on and on. I definitely realize that was a crude summary of his beginnings. Um, I'm going to let everyone know a little later how you can hear a really good in-depth story of his beginnings. But um, Deakins is humble, insanely talented, as we've said, arguably the most well-known working DP today. And when you and I met, we kind of we started talking about cinematography really early on. And because, mm -hmm. OK, so you and I met because I was going to be shooting one of your films. And I said, if we are going to talk about this it's going to be best for me to go off like reference points. Yeah. So I had, I suggested you start like watching a lot of stuff and going, oh, can we replicate that or do that? And Deacons was definitely in that conversation. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that's uh, a lot is speaking to, you know, when you were talking about um, what's best for the movie. Uh, I mean, that was something that we talk about all the time for everything that we do. And um, especially when it comes to cinematography and and you're right with Roger Deakins because he does have a look and he and he has a very specific quality, but he is not going to sacrifice that unless it's the absolute right thing to do for the story of the movie. Yes. Yeah, so that is something we absolutely talked about. 
I want to dive into his career a little bit. I'm going to kind of go in gently ease into his most famous work, but I thought it'd be fun to touch on. A lot of us know Roger Egan's most well-known films, but he also did stuff like Sid and Nancy, Air America with Gibson and Downey Jr., Homicide, incredibly underrated David Mamet film from 91, Passion Fish in 92, Anywhere But Here, underrated Natalie Portman's Susan Sarandon flick. Yeah. Um, A Beautiful Mind, I had no idea he shot that, completely forgot. Yeah, I forgot that too. (laughs) But I would say the first signature Deacons-looking film is Barton Fink in 1991. But from 94 on, Roger Deakins becomes Roger Deakins. With each passing year, he grows in popularity because in 94, he has Hudsucker Proxy, which helps cement his relationships with the Coens. And he has the Shawshank Redemption, which earns him his first Oscar nomination. Still looks incredible. Oh, yeah. I always remember that POV shot of Andy Dufresne walking into Shawshank for the first time. And the, mm-hmm. the camera's just looking up and you're like, oh, this guy is totally trapped. Like, he's completely locked in yeah post 94 we're quite simply talking about some of the best looking films of the past few decades here are a few of those and these are ones he didn't get nominated for an oscar for because we're going to talk about those in a second but here's some deegan's highlights dead man walking courage under fire big lebowski the hurricane which has great black and white boxing sequences the village probably the best aspect of that movie is the photography (laughs) jarhead (laughs) jarhead his first film with mendez which is really important Doubt, great Dutch angles in Doubt, Revolutionary Road, A Serious Man, Hail Caesar, which I rewatched this morning, and I think that, honestly, the photography of Hail Caesar might be the best part of that movie. He captures those, the Western set piece, the Busby Berkeley's swimming set piece, it's, he's just the best, and that wasn't even his most well-regarded work. Okay, you and I are big-time fans of the Oscars. We're obsessed with them. Famously, Deacons have been nominated for 14 Oscars before finally winning for Blade Runner 2049 in 2018. And he's since won a second Oscar for last year's 1917. So Deeks is on, on a bit of a tear here. Two in a row. Yeah, well, there was a year in between. But yeah, two nominations in a row. Oh. But he's doing great, and he's fi- He's always been doing great, but he's finally getting awarded for it. No, didn't, didn't he win for... He won for... Uh, for- Oh, it was Blade Runner 2000, 2018? Yeah. And then 1917 was 2019. Sorry. This is why, okay, you know what? This is a good point to bring up to this. I hate talking about Oscar years because I like to say the year that the movie was released. So I would call those Oscars the 2017 Oscars. But whenever I do that on Twitter or on my blog, people are like, no, that ceremony took place in February or March of 2018. So then it's the 2018 Oscars. And that's just not right. It, it confuses me. So, okay. Blade Runner 2049, <laughs> Roger Deakins physically won the Oscar in the year 2018, <laughs> but he, the movie was physically released in theaters in 2017. From here on out on What Are You Watching, folks, we are going to be referring to Oscar years, the year the movie was released. Damn the man. Save the empire. Yeah, I'm putting it down now because that's what we're, I'm about to go through 14 of them. So <laughs> everything I'm going to say going coming up is the year the movie was released. So 1994, nominated for Shawshank Redemption, loses to Legends of the Fall. I think that's fair. 96, nominated for Fargo, loses to The English Patient. It's just the 90s epic sweep. So I get that. That's fair. 97 gets nominated for Kundun, which we're going to talk about later. Loses to Titanic. That's inevitable. Yeah. 2000, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Looks great. Mm -hmm. Loses to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Also kind of inevitable. 2001 is tough for me. It's it's not a good Oscar year. He, as we said, he shot the best picture that year, A Beautiful Mind, but he was nominated for 
the man who wasn't there, which looks great. He loses to Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. I'm not on board with this. I would have given it to any of the other nominees, uh, Amelie, Black Hawk Down, Moulin Rouge, or The Man Who Wasn't There over Lord of the Rings. But Oh, yeah. I would, too. We're, we're going to get to this in a, in a second, but when you're talking about Oscars and cinematography, especially lately there, you have to kind of take a stance on do you like effects-heavy movies for best cinematography or do you like more practical? So, like, should Avatar or Life of Pi win best cinematography, which they both did? Yeah. And even though they're both very computer-generated. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a way that that art form has changed. You have to kind of blend in these effects. So it, it's just, it's interesting. But I'm, I'm always going to be more of a practical. Yeah, I, I am too. Yeah, of course we are. And, you know, and what goes into making a movie like that, that's, I mean, that's something that we just, I don't think a lot of people understand what goes into making something as epic and as cgi heavy as that and like how do you cinematically um with a photographic eye make that the best it can possibly be but yes you're 100 percent correct uh i feel the same way <laughs> 2007 big year for deacons he has two nominations the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford and no country for old men oh. and he loses to robert Ellswit. For there will be blood. Now, this is tough. And hear me out on here because I don't want to talk out of turn. What we're doing, this Oscar breakdown, I actually did this on my blog leading up to the the 2017 Oscars that took place in 2018. But <laughs> And I was kind of going down these Oscar hypotheticals. And I actually gave this award to Deacons. And I think I have to correct that. And hear me out. Here's why. Robert Ellswit is one of the best cinematographers we have. He really is. He's only been nominated twice for Good Night and Good Luck, and then two years later for There Will Be Blood. He wins for There Will Be Blood, and he has not been nominated since. So if he doesn't win this year, then, I, I don't know, maybe he gets nominated down the line, but I like that Robert Ellswit has a nomination, has a win, rather. Yeah. And I like that Deacons finally has two, so it's kind of an all's well that ends well. However, Jesse James and There Will Be Blood are two photographically perfect films there i don't think there's a flaw in either of them they're beautiful 2007 was a banner year for movies it was a banner oscar year so i wanted to get your opinion on you know would you have given it to deacons which is totally fair you know this is a very interesting question because um i think it relates to an overall uh interesting issue with the oscars is what stands the test of time because if you were to ask me in 2007 what i thought should have won for cinematography i probably would have went with the assassination of Jesse James. But with time passing, I, when you rewatch There Will Be Blood, man, I mean, not even to discredit that movie back when it came out, because it was, you're right, it's beautiful, it's perfect. I think I would still give it to There Will Be Blood. Even though, I mean, how in a million years could you make No Country for Old Men and Jesse James, which are t two completely different looking movies? Very, and... They famously were shooting, no. the Coens were shooting No Country and Paul Thomas Anderson. Anderson was shooting There Will Be Blood at the same exact time, like right next to each other in the same town. So it's crazy. I think there's a story of they were, yeah, they were trying to shoot stuff in the desert with Josh Brolin for No Country and they could see those, like those oil rigs and <laughs> <laughs> There Will Be Blood way like on fire in the distance. But yeah, No Country looks great. The, the chase sequence 
when Josh Brolin's running for his life from the cartel is one of my favorite shot things of Deacons' career. You know, one of the cool things about No Country is that, you know, we're when we're watching the little things that they do, like when he gets to the hotel and he's unscrewing the vents and he's setting things up or they're healing each other after their battle wounds, um, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but those shots are so captivating. Yeah. And you really feel the tension, and that in itself is uh, speaks to how good the cinematography is because you're just taking shots of people doing things. How do you make that so riveting? That's a really good point because there's no dialogue in those passages, and there's no music. Like Javier Bardem, when he's fixing his leg, you know, we just have him and the camera. That's yeah. it. There's no, like, enhanced sound design. Yep. It's all very organic. It's all very lived in. And that is cinematography. That's what we're talking about here, that he puts the movie first. Yep. He's not, I, I don't know, he has flashiness to him, but it's usually for very, for a stylized reason. Like Man Who Wasn't There is very neo-noir stylized. Yeah. But we're only halfway here because. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2008, nominated for The Reader, loses to Slumdog Millionaire. That feels fine. True Grit in 2010, loses to Inception. Absolutely fair. 2012 is another tough one because he's nominated for Skyfall. He loses to Life of Pi. And 2012 was really when on film Twitter and just in, you know, think pieces leading up to the Oscars, they were like, this is the Roger Deakins year. It Skyfall is the best looking Bond movie ever made. And it just it's just a really good looking movie. It's it's beautiful. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. The choice to introduce Javier Bardem that way and that incredibly long shot is a stroke of genius, one of the best character introductions ever. And then he loses a life of pie, which yeah. it, it's just tough. I don't really I know where I land on this argument, but I don't begrudge anyone for thinking life of pie deserved to win best cinematography. But uh, no, it would be cool, too, for, um, you know, for anyone who's listening who might have a different take or who's worked on movies that have that type of CGI. What goes into it that makes it so different, that makes it worthy of of beating something like Skyfall? It's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's a good question because I think a lot of people relate cinematography to the way the camera is placed and moved and lighting. But now you have to add in all of this post-production work on it. That has to play a part into it. And they're always talking with each other, the cinematographer and the visual effects supervisor. So... That's a whole other podcast discussion. How has cinematography changed? Changed, yeah. I mean, even over his career. And then um, Prisoners in 2013 loses to Gravity, which is kind of inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Unbroken in 2014 loses to Birdman. Sicario 2015 loses to The Revenant. That's his uh, third loss in a row to Chivo. God, what a tough one. I know. 2015 is incredibly difficult because this is honestly one of the best years for this category ever. You have Sicario. The Revenant, Carol, The Hateful Eight, and Mad Max Fury Road. And legitimately, any of those could have won. Any of them. Yeah. Then 2017 finally wins. Blade Runner 2049. Yep. Didn't really have much competition. Maybe Dunkirk, but The Darkest Hour, Mudbound, and Shape of Water. It. You and I were still nervous. We were watching the ceremony together, and we're like, oh my god. Because it's not really the type of movie that wins cinematography a lot. It 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 isn't like the big sci-fi you know epic but he but he wins it and it's a great speech and we were so excited yeah we 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 hugged we were standing we were like we did we got up we hugged it out we were we were so oh god we were so happy i love when he 
thanks his wife James. He goes, he says something like, uh, "I'd like to thank my wife James." You know, whatever. It's like, he's just he's so British. He's like, oh, you know, whatever. It's fine. And then 1917, he wins last year, yeah. his second win in a row, beating out Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we both love the look of. Joker, The Irishman, and The Lighthouse. Strong group of nominees, but... Yeah, strong group. Deserved a win. So, but looking over those, that's an insane career that isn't done. No. It isn't nearly done. This guy is still going. Yeah. He's he's producing some of the best work he's ever made, and now he's given the credit for it. I didn't... I don't know who has the most wins for best cinematography, but this is something I've been thinking about. It's like, Chivo has three now, Deacons has two... And these guys aren't going anywhere. I mean, these guys are, they're relatively young for their career. Cinematographers can, you know, work for a long time provided their vision's intact and all that stuff. So I'm really excited to see where his career keeps going. Where this isn't, this is not like a a career roundup podcast. This is just an appreciation podcast. He sells a lot more movies to shoot and it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's our, you know, I mean, it's hard to say that he's done his best work over the last couple of years because that, I mean, it's just that he just is, he's been getting better and better and better every year. A, 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 he adds, if you have Deacons as your cinematographer on your movie, you're going to be getting one of the best looking movies of all time, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so that rounds up our little Oscar breakdown. And then I'd be, you know, we've talked about a lot of his movies kind of in passing, but I thought it would be fun for each of us to pick a deep dive to kind of just dive into. I'll go first. I'm actually picking Revolutionary Road here. It's a movie that isn't discussed a lot visually. And I I don't know, the movie, it had its moment. And then I don't really hear that movie being talked a lot anymore. No one talks about that movie. Which is such a shame because it has three... I mean, DiCaprio, Winslet, and Michael Shannon are astounding in this movie, and the look of it is really something to pay attention to. It is not his flashiest work, nope. and he was even nominated this year for The Reader, but Revolutionary Road looks great. Um, this is the second movie he shot for Sam Mendes, and it's definitely the least talked about of the bunch, visually. Previously, they made Jarhead together in 2005, then Skyfall, then, of course, 1917, which won Deacon's second Oscar. But I don't want people to sleep on Revolutionary Road. The look of the film is very lived in. You feel like you're right there in 1950s Connecticut. Its color palette is so rich and appropriate for whatever scene we're in. Yeah. The mood of the scene there. There's some lush yellows, some really haunting blues. I rewatched it yesterday and I realized that some of these dark, moodier shots feel like they almost belong in a horror movie, mm-hmm. which I guess this kind of is. It's like a domestic horror film. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way to put it. There's there are two quick examples I want to talk about why I like the look of this movie so much. In the end, when DiCaprio and Winslet are having their big argument, they are moving around a lot, and each mo- room they move into gets physically darker because there are just less windows in the room. The argument, as the argument gets more intense, the setting gets literally visually more grim. And then by the end of the fight, when they're running outside and they're coming back in, everything is bathed in that really haunting blue I'm talking about. It's a great way to organically tell a story. And the mood is just changing with the color, but it's all organic. He does something else in Revolutionary Road that I want you to hear me out on because I don't want to talk out of turn. But that's it. He's, he really pioneers this use of the stealth oneer, And a oneer is a long, unbroken, continuous shot. And when... You say like a stealth one, or it means one that you're not really drawing attention 
to itself like 1917 are all oneers but they're yeah they're, they very clearly want you to know like hey check this out this is all one shot oh but wh- what i want to say was i don't want to talk out of turn i do not equate deacons to the long take of course 1917 yes but prior to that i don't really consider him a cinematographer who goes after the long shot a lot but in revolutionary road i notice a lot of these stealth oneers the most famous is probably when Michael Shannon's flipping out in the background and he's out of focus and the camera just sits on Kate Winslet, like trembling, holding her cigarette in frame, and you're watching the whole thing play out. And it's a long scene. It go, it's a long rant that goes on for a while. And again, that's perfect framing, perfect composition and focus, and a perfect way for the camera to assume the character's perspective without going into like POV. So mm-hmm. Deacons often says that the best cinematography can be the kind you don't really notice. And I think Revolutionary Road is a great example of that. Yeah, and that's a that's a great quote too. Yeah, if you go check it out, just pay, give a little extra attention to the look of the film because it, it deserve, that movie deserves to be discussed more. It's tough, but it deserves to be talked about. It is. It's, it's a hard movie to, to get through because um, it doesn't start well and it certainly doesn't end well. You're right, the, as I'm thinking about it, uh, even from the lighting from where it starts... It starts in a very, um, I suppose, the brightest, you know, for these two people that you can get. When it goes back to their flashbacks of when they meet and they're dancing at that party, the 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 gold of that party, and then yeah, when you get to that final end sequence, there it, it's so grim and just little things like that, like that's telling the story. You know, real quick, this is something. This is what I'm about to tell you is why we like started this podcast because I'm going to geek out a little bit. I hope people find this interesting. But <laughs> So I'm, I'm researching Revolutionary Road and he did this thing called Cove Lighting, C-O-V-E. I've never heard of this. Listen to this shit. If you and I are having conversation like Leo and Kadar and are like we're, we're on the, we're standing next to the stove and then the refrigerator is on the other side of the room. On that other side of the room, he would tape up this huge white, you could say a sheet. It's not a sheet, but like imagine taping up a huge white sheet along the the back side of the room and then bouncing a bunch of lights off the sheet so that it reflects off of you oh wow so he in those scenes he never pointed lights directly at the actors he let it flood on this surface and then fill them with this light so that's why like a lot of those shots are so perfectly well lit and i was watching this feature yesterday and i'm like okay i'm definitely doing that the next time we shoot something that's amazing it just yeah it's really cool it's cove lighting so this is what i'm talking about like this guy and it's very simple that's what he was he's saying this feature he's like i did this in college we did this with bed sheets yeah so it's really simple to do and really effective and that way your actors can move wherever they want to you don't have to tape down you don't have to block which i'm a huge fan of yeah and you don't have to lug all this you don't have to keep moving lights around I mean, how often do we do that where we're like moving lights? This, you just leave them stationary. And as long as your camera doesn't turn, Mm -hmm. you know, behind you to where the lights are, you're good. Yeah, it's just, that's what I mean. Revolutionary Road. Like, I never thought that I would research that movie, find this cool making of featurette and have it completely change my cinematography game. Like, I'm dying to try that out. Oh, man. That's awesome. It's awesome. Where, where did you find the making of? It was on YouTube and it's not a making of Revolutionary Road. It's uh, shit. It was just, if you type in like Roger Deacon's Cove Lighting, C-O-V-E, it's like a four minute clip about how you set it up, how you do it. And it was really, really cool. And the way that he talks about this stuff is just so like, well, yeah, you know, you just set it up that way you don't have to worry about cords. It's 
I don't know. It's easier. He's so matter of fact. I oh god, he would be a great teacher, but it's very relaxed. That's enough on Revolutionary Road. Yeah, very relaxed. Um, tell me your deep dive movie. Well, I definitely went in a little more flashier uh, with it, um, but it's because I had a personal connection to it. Uh, I decided to choose the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which has got to be one of the longest film titles. Um, but also, it's really it's really great. <laughs> yeah, it's right up there. So I saw this movie in theaters in 2007 when it came out. I had just started acting, and I think this was during the period where I was really, really soaking in my appreciation for everything that had to do with anything, theater, film. It was all coming at me. You know, and this is an interesting thing that I don't know if a lot of people think about is when or if do you ever get to a point where you notice cinematography? I think for a lot of uh, like audience, you know, goers, um, they don't really know what that is. They just know that they're watching something. But when, when, at what point does cinematography become the thing that you're like, oh my god, look at this? And I think this was my first one. I think I noticed cinematography um, with this movie in a way that I had never noticed it before. And I mean, obviously, it's so beautiful. Um, but the thing that I noticed then is the thing that I, I want to talk about now is that I think that this movie's story moves through the photography. And I don't mean the cinematography. I mean the actual photography. Because there's a reason, I think, why this movie looks so beautiful. Because you could literally take a still at any moment from this like two hours and 47 minute length of this movie and you just stop at any point and you've got a beautiful picture because the movie is very slow. It's a very slow paced, um, great acting by everyone though. If you're really involved in what's going on with these characters, it's really great acting, but still the, the star is, is the look it's the construction. It's the frames. I mean, the train shot. I mean, I, I think it would be a sin to talk about this movie and not talk about the train shot. I mean, th- that is just got to be one of the coolest looking things I've ever seen. And then when you kind of reverse that and talk about, um, you know, because that shot doesn't really do anything for character necessarily. Mm-hmm. But if you were to switch the conversation and talk about character, the way that he lights Brad Pitt in that movie as being Jesse James, you know, this dangerous outlaw where they talk a lot about his eyes. There are scenes where he lights his eyes specifically. There's a, a dinner scene where uh, he unexpectedly um, comes to the, the the brother's house and yeah. everyone's at, on edge and especially Casey Affleck. And there's a flickering of the candle and the way that, Uh, Brad Pitt leans into it and you look into his eyes you have no idea what he's going to say or do and it's also you know you can also say for Robert Ford's character it's the flickering of maybe his his hero image of of Jesse James dying or if it's going out of light because because Brad Pitt really uh, makes a fool of 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 Casey Affleck in that scene and then also the scene where um where he reveals, I think, probably the most he does to anyone in the movie, to Sam Rockwell, in the scene at his home. But it's all in black, basically. They're in the house. But there's these little shatters of light that come in. It looks like broken glass. It looks like everything you're seeing is, like, cracks. And you just kind of look at that, and you're like, what the fuck? 
I mean... I know, it's just so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, I remember leaving that theater and feeling like I had just taken in some of the most beautiful looking things. And if you let it, 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 it was transformative. Yeah, that what a good movie to have that awakening. Like, oh, I'm paying attention to cinematography now. Yeah. To say nothing of the fact of the focus. Like, what he does with the focus is incredible in it. And it's all in camera and it's i mean some of those like you said you pause certain frames of that movie and it looks like it was shot in the period of time it depicts it's like yeah but to actually do that in camera that's how you achieve a singular look and it's it's one of the great like modern film shames that that movie just failed and it doesn't it has it's huge fans there are a lot of supporters but I, I believe he did like a director's cut of it and released it and showed it for one night in New York a couple of years ago. I think I heard that. And really? Interesting. Yeah, like I would love to see that, but no one, I would love a commentary for it. Like no one, it doesn't seem like any big distributor wants to get around essentially re-releasing the, the DVD or Blu-ray of this. And what a perfect candidate for Criterion to pick this up and yeah. give us a commentary, give us a director's cut, make it three discs. I don't care. People will buy it. Like it's. Absolutely. It's one of those movies. It's a, it's a shame it's not talked about more. Yeah. Great call. Great pick. Moving on, I wanted to give a little attention to the Team Deacons podcast, which just came out. We had talked about covering Deacons on this podcast for a while, and then we were actually going to record this episode two weeks ago, and I started doing my research, and I'm like, wait a minute. He has a podcast. I didn't know this, so... It's been going on for several weeks. There are a number of episodes out there. I listened to all of them the past two weeks. The podcast is hosted by Deacons' wife, James, who has acted as a script supervisor on a lot of his movies. And now it sounds like she has a sort of renaissance woman effect on the movies with him. She She's on every set with him and does a lot of work, which I, I didn't know any of that. And to hear them go back and forth with with each other he kind of says early on i think in episode two like i didn't know if people were gonna want to listen to us do this because this is our life we don't sit around and talk about like normal things like over breakfast we're talking about shot lists at night we're talking about dailies and we realized they met on the heart or on the set of thunderheart <laughs> val kilmer oh yeah so they said they realized after they got together that if he's off at location shooting all the time and she's at home you can't sustain a relationship. So she figured out how to do her job really well on the movie sets that he goes into. And it's, it's really cool to hear their collaboration hear their dichotomy. And of course, Deacons, as we've said, is very humble. So he just gives good tips and he has a lot of not controversial stories. He's not a hot take guy. He just has a lot of cool movie trivia about the movies he's shot. And he has a way of describing them in a way that they're not spectacular there he has a very pragmatic way of speaking so give team deacons podcast a listen it's really cool and it just again proves that deacons is a great guy who's really in the conversation and it's he's just this pop culture cinematographer and we don't have a lot of those so yeah okay we'll move on to a few awards here just for just for fun roger deacons best films i wanted to pick three best films these are not in order and these are whether, you know, it's what we think kind of looks the best. So my pick for his three, Sicario, 1917, and then Jesse James. I can't not pick Jesse James. Um, those were a little top heavy for me. I didn't honestly think that 1917 would creep in, but 
thinking about how important the cinematography is to that movie, it just felt right. I, you know, it felt right to pick that. I would have liked to have gone with something maybe a little older, but we've talked about a lot of those. But yeah, Jesse James, Sicario, 1917. That's what I go with. Great picks. So I I went with um, The Man Who Wasn't There. I just, um, I'm such a fan of noir, and to see Deacons take a stab at doing a noir is not just a stab, it's a it's a home run. Oh, yeah. It's It has everything that makes film noir what it is through its cinematography, and then it's also just beautiful. It's got the noir, but it's got Deacons' style, and the mix with the Coen brothers. I, I mean, it, it's great. Because I did my deep dive with Assassination, I didn't want to hark on it. But yes, if I was to pick a top three, I mean, Assassination would be in it. But I chose to replace that one just for the sake of this particular category with Blade Runner 2049. Great call. I mean, the colors, the look, the scope, the the construction. I mean, that's another pitch-perfect looking movie and so cool. And then uh, 1917, because, come on. Yeah, and those are great picks as well. Going into, I kind of wanted us to think about if we had like a favorite shot or a favorite scene that we like from Deacons, just not what we consider his best. I mean, you highlighted the train sequence from Jesse James and mine is um, the uncertainty principle scene and the man who wasn't there. And that's the one with Tony Yeah, walking back and forth and that light is just pounding in the shadows of the bars and he is bathed in this hot white light and Billy Bob Thornton and Francis McDormand are in the background this really unsettling gray so that was really close to making my top three deacons and i wanted to highlight that scene in particular of um i'm still on my old hollywood movie kick watching a lot of film noirs and that's like it's right up there i mean it belongs in the 40s that that whole movie but just the look of that sequence is perfect for film noir Absolutely. Did you have any favorite like shot or scene you want to talk about? Oh, yeah. My favorite shot, I think, of anything that he's ever done is actually from 1917. It's the shot is uh, from when the main character um, basically gets knocked out after the shot ricochets. And then he comes to and he and it's nighttime now and he's and he has to go through the, the broken town on fire. And the way that the camera, you know, rises up and goes out the window and we see the lighting of this broken city i actually cried i i had never been moved so much by an image it was terrifying it was beautiful it was cool it was i had no idea how you could make something look like that and then to then you just goes back pans down and then we're with the character as he goes through that town um i just remember it took my breath away uh, and and for just a single shot to do that, I, that's a um, that's rarefied air. Really cool thing about that shot, it's the only time we leave the character. Yeah. And it's it's brief, but it's the only time we leave him. It's the only time we move away from his perspective and kind of float up. And I've, I heard Mendes talk about that on a few podcasts saying like, it's kind of, you know, it has this kind of angelic feel to it that he's woken up. It's a new kind of beginning for him. So we're just going out and meeting him again and. I really like that. Best shot of the movie, no question. And, and one really quick thing about 1917, too, to kind of piggyback off of that is um, by the time you get to that end where it's the run, how the hell is your climax of a movie a run? But it, it's it's one of the coolest things, and I think it's because um, the cinematography is obviously the star of that whole entire thing, and um, it's, uh, it's a build. It's an entire build. Okay, so final kind of award, signature... Deacon's film. It's like 
you have to show if someone's never seen a Roger Deakins movie, you have to show one movie to represent his look, his feel. What would it be? I have to go with the obvious but worthy answer, which is Jesse James. Yeah. It just is. If I have to show that movie to someone, if I have to show an encapsulation of Roger Deakins' work, I'm going to show them Jesse James. I chose Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Very good pick. Very good. And the reason I did was because I figure if someone really wants to get to know Deakins, you know, his relationship with the Coens, the work that he does there, it's a very, very specific look. Um, And I think that this particular movie, outside of maybe The Man Who Wasn't There, because that, I mean, that's such a genre in noir, but Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, I think has the perfect blend of his style mixed with the Coen brothers' look for their movies. The color, everything with that movie, um, it, it's, it's, it's another one of those, you know, perfect movies. All right, as we wrap up here, I have a few fun facts that I thought people might like to know. Deacons, and I'm a, I'll quiz you a little bit. <laughs> Deacons has shot every Coen Brothers film since Barton Fink, except three. You want to take a guess at what any of them are, or you just want me to tell you? For whatever reason, I'm just blanking on everything right now, so, so go ahead, shoot. Burn After Reading. Oh. Which... Emmanuel Lubezki shot because he was, Deacons was busy. Inside Llewellyn Davis. Oh, wow, yeah. And Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. In 2015, Business Insider asked Deacons to briefly discuss three of his favorite looking movies that he had shot. So they essentially said, what are your three favorite movies you've shot? Do you have any idea what those might be? 2015, so there's no Blade Runner, there's no 1917. Okay. All right, so I'll I'll say I'll say Fargo is one. Close. Fargo looks great too. We didn't give that a lot of attention, but that movie, the sparseness of that movie looks great. And real quick, I listened to he has a commentary, a director's commentary for that movie. So go listen to that if you want. He doesn't he doesn't do a lot of talking, but there's a lot of really useful stuff on there. I'll just tell you cuz that's his number 1 is Coon Dune. Oh wow. Martin Scorsese, which not a lot of people talk about, and that is a really good-looking movie. Yeah, it is. It's a slow, slow movie, but it looks really good. So there was that, Man Who Wasn't There, and Jesse James. Ah, uh, nice. So those are the three. But I thought, I was like, oh, Coon Dune. I, once I started doing research on it, I was like, oh, he tries to bring this movie up a lot. Like, I think it was important to him. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Final cool little bit of trivia. Stay with me here. Deacons has cited Conrad L. Hall as his major influence for getting into the business and cinematography. Hall famously shot Cool Hand Luke. He won an Oscar for shooting Butch Cassidy. But perhaps most interestingly, Comrade L. Hall won Oscars for shooting American Beauty and Road to Perdition, which his son accepted posthumously because he had died before the Road to Perdition Oscar came out. And both those movies were directed by Sam Mendes. And then Hall passes away and... Mendez's new go-to cinematographer becomes Roger Deakins. Oh, that's so cool. So it's like Deakins filled in for his mentor, which is really fucking cool. Well, and that's a really cool thing, too, because I was just even thinking, you know, Brother, Where Art Thou? with the um, shot of the sunglasses with the... Uh, exactly. You know, that's a complete cool hand, Luke, you know, um, homage. So yeah. it makes a lot of sense that that was his favorite. That's our Roger Deakins episode, folks. We've hoped you know, you've learned some things about one of our great cinematographers. And again, this is, we could do this again in 10 years. I mean, you know, it's going to be a really interesting decade for Deacons, whose career has just taken off in the past decade after already having an amazing career. But 
I'm really excited to see what happens. And we could do an entire podcast on all the movies that we didn't even talk about in this one. Yeah, exactly, because there's there's a lot. Um, so wrapping up, we're going to do our namesake. What are you watching? This is when we highlight anything we want, something we've watched recently, something we want to draw attention to. I don't know. I don't remember who's supposed to go first, but I will if you want. <laughs> go for it. I'm staying on theme here. Deacons has said that his favorite, one of his favorite, if not his favorite filmmakers, John Pierre Melville, who I had always heard about, but didn't, I hadn't seen a film of his until 2017. And then I watched them all right in a row. He made a lot of really great work that has been very influential. You go watch his movies. You're going to see a lot of Tarantino in there. He's Tarantino's biggest influence, I'd say. A lot of Scorsese. But in 1969, he made a movie, Army of Shadows, which is about French resistance fighters fighting the Nazis. And it's the best movie ever made of that kind of movie. Huge influence for Deacons. A great Melville film. Go check it out. It is, it's, it's a difficult movie. It has some tough passages, but it's really, really good. Army of Shadows, Jean-Pierre Melville. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to stay on theme as well, because um, I tend to not stay on theme, so I figured for this one I'd maybe start a new trend. <laughs> um, so I went with Sid and Nancy. Nice. Which is uh, uh, one of Deacon's very, very first, and I mean, directed by Alex Cox, who is like notorious for a certain style for his movies. And I think Deacon's, I mean, that move, that movie is a, that movie's a trip. Oh yeah. And I had a lot of fun with it. And there's one particular scene where uh, Sid and Nancy are kissing in an alleyway and the trash is falling over around them. Oh yeah. And I yeah. remember thinking like, cause I felt like I'm like, this is a Deacon shot. Like, there's so much going on in this movie that's to tell the story of the personal and chaotic life of these two. But that shot's like a departure. And I was like, but it was beautiful. And I was like, 1986, and Deacons is young. He's, he, his career's before him. And I go, I think this might be the first opportunity he had to show who he is as an artist. And it's it's a wild movie. Alex Cox, that I love that guy. <laughs> Great director. Yeah, it's definitely wild. And what what's interesting about that is that he did get his start. Deacons did get his start in documentaries, and that movie intentionally has a very documentary look and feel to me. It kind of moves. It's very scratchy. It does. Yeah. It's very raw. So he was a really good candidate to shoot that. And then, like you said, he puts in these little moments of visual flourishes to be like, hey, you know, I'm also. I'm planning on making a go of this long term, so here I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is it. Great call. Okay, folks. Well, we thank you for listening to Roger Deacon's podcast. Go check out some visual wonder by our man Deeks. Thank you for listening and have fun watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can check out my flicks and my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you find all of Nick's film work. Nicholas Ali does the music for our show. I've made a few music videos with Nick. He's a great guy and we love his tunes. Big thank you to him. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. Next episode, we're going to do something a little different and dedicate the entire episode to one film, Sofia Coppola's dream masterpiece somewhere.
Okay, you're on. I'm on. Make sure my settings are all good. Watch that hotness and all that bullshit. All that bullshit. 2007 is a big year for for Deacons here. Two nominations: the assassination of the assassination of Jesse Jesse James. I'm doing it again. 